Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. Some men are meant to have success while keeping their hands clean. Others earn millions in seedy enterprises. On January 17, 1882, a man was born who would make a name for himself within New York City's infamous underground. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, Sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Arnold Rothstein was born on January 17, 1882, into the family of an affluent Manhattan Ashkenazi Jewish businessman, Abraham Rothstein. Described as an upright man, nicknamed Abe the Just, Arnold and his brother were raised with similar values. However, described as a difficult child, with the exception of an aptitude in math, Arnold showed little interest in school, was desperate to be the center of attention, and grew angry when he was not, even harboring a deep envy of his brother, Harry. He was also a young man who, for as long as he could remember, was a gambler. Saying, quote, I always gambled. I can't remember when I didn't. Maybe I gambled just to show my father he couldn't tell me what to do, but I don't think so. I think I gambled because I loved the excitement. When I gambled, nothing else mattered. Arnold by 1910 proved himself to be the opposite of his beloved father, 
when, at the age of just 28, he moved to the Tenderloin section of Manhattan, established his own casino, and invested in a horse racing track in Maryland, where, as the stories go, he fixed many of the races in order to line his deep pockets. With money to spare, a list of his father's important banking associates, and a wide network of informants, Arnold Rothstein became a millionaire at the age of just 30 and earned the nickname The Brain. All that was small potatoes, though, compared to his most infamous fix, the 1919 World Series. Now, according to the sources, there's a great deal of evidence that points to and points away from Arnold Rothstein and his involvement. However, according to those who think the racketeer and crime boss was guilty, he paid members of the Chicago White Sox to throw the game so that he could win a significant profit from betting on the Cincinnati Reds. Later called the Black Sox scandal, Arnold was summoned to Chicago to testify before a grand jury investigation, where he claimed that he was an innocent businessman and hoped that this would clear his name. He claimed that he was being framed by a man named Abe Adel, along with some other, quote, cheap gamblers, and that he turned down the offer to be involved in the scandal when he was asked. Though he claimed his bet had nothing to do with the fix, he did walk away with quite a sum of money. Not finding enough evidence to officially link him to the crime, he was never indicted. When all of the records, minutes, and signed confessions seemingly disappeared, the judge was forced to dismiss the case entirely, and officially, it was never proven if, or if not, the 1919 World Series was fixed. However, the eight White Sox players named as trial defendants were all permanently banned from playing or participating as coaches in the MLB. Potentially getting away with a huge crime, in 1921, under the pseudonym Redstone Stable, Arnold owned a racehorse named Sporting Blood, who won the Traverse Stakes under what was considered suspicious circumstances. Allegedly conspiring with a leading trainer, Sam Hildreth, who entered a three-year-old horse by the name of Gray Lag, Arnold allegedly drove the odds to three to one, and he himself bet $150,000. Just before the race began, Sam, without explanation, pulled Gray Lag from the starting list, and Arnold walked away with over $500,000 and not enough evidence against him to actually get caught. Not willing to use all of his talents on fixing sporting events, when Prohibition hit the U.S., Arnold saw the opportunity for a new business venture and began bootlegging and selling narcotics. Smuggling his wares along the Hudson River and from Canada, Arnold purchased holdings in a number of speakeasies and later became the first to illegally import Scotch whiskey in his own fleet of transatlantic freighters. Realizing that there was money in high-end liquor, Arnold apparently, quote, transformed organized crime from a thuggish activity by hoodlums into a big business run like a corporation. He was one of the first people to take prohibition and make it into a million-dollar business opportunity and used his notoriety and smarts to mentor future crime bosses like Lucky Luciano, Mayor Lansky, Frank Costello, and Bugsy Siegel. He also became a frequent mediator among the New York gangs, for a hefty fee, of course, and then exploited his role with the city's legitimate business world, thus securing his spot as a valuable and irreplaceable 
ally within the city. He has also been credited by many historians as the first successful modern drug dealer. By 1925, he was one of the most powerful criminals in the country and had forged his own empire worth well over $10 million, which in today's money is over $171 million, making him one of the wealthiest gangsters in U.S. history and one of the founding fathers of organized crime in the country. All that came crashing down on November 6, 1928, with just one game of poker amongst other criminals. According to Underworld Folklore, Arnold Rothstein was involved in a three-day high-stakes poker game in a Congress apartment in October with men like Jimmy Meehan, who lived in apartment 32, Alvin C. Titanic Thompson, brothers Mayer and Sam Boston, Red Martin Bow, and Nathan Raymond. By the end of the game, Arnold had lost $322,000 and owed about $320,000. On November 4th, 1928, at 10.15 p.m., a phone call came in to Lindy's restaurant asking for regular Arnold Rothstein. Excusing himself from the table, Arnold took the call and, when he came back moments later, he handed a long-barreled pistol to his associate, James Meehan. Parting ways later that night, Arnold went off to the Park Central Hotel and was reportedly heading for room 349 for a meeting. Within an hour, Arnold the Brain Rothstein was struck in the abdomen with a bullet, came down the Park Central service elevator clutching his side, and told the operator, get me a taxi, I've been shot. After spending two days in the polyclinic hospital, undergoing surgery and a blood transfusion, Arnold passed away, having refused to give up exactly who pulled the weapon on him. Telling the police officers, you stick to your trade, I'll stick to mine. Officials did, however, trace the bullet to a 38 caliber revolver, later found on the street below the hotel, and reportedly linked the murder to that high-stakes poker game back in October. Arnold, though capable of paying his debt, claimed the game was fixed, and refused to hand over the money. But like the alleged crimes of Arnold himself, police were unable to put any of the men potentially involved in prison. George Hump McManus was arrested for the crime, but later was acquitted due to lack of evidence. Though there are a number of theories surrounding not just the poker game, but what happened in Arnold's last few moments of life, as well as why the New York law enforcement waited three weeks to conduct the investigation, at which point most of his records had been stolen, no one really knows exactly what happened that night. Or at least, no one's opening their mouths to say. Basically, there are a hell of a lot of theories, shoddy police work, and questions when it comes to Arnold Rothstein's death. Given who was involved and what Arnold himself did for a living, it will likely remain a mystery for decades to come. We do know that, just before taking his final breath, Arnold revised his will in the company of a large group of visitors. His lawyer reportedly guided his hand to write his signature and, with the stroke of that pen, his wife Carolyn went from getting more than half to one-third of his estate. His mistress and former Ziegfeld Follies dancer Inez Norton got one-sixth. His assistant received an allotted amount and the lawyer himself got 5% of his $1 to $3 million estate. 
In his absence, a number of crime bosses, some of which Arnold mentored himself, split up his various enterprises and moved on with their lives. The case remains unsolved. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on January 18th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.